to the latest edition of Norton Rose Fulbright's Regulation Tomorrow podcast, where we explore the latest developments in risk and regulation in the financial services sector. This is the first in a new series of podcasts which are focused on the Financial Services and Markets Bill, which was introduced to Parliament in July 2022. We're going to, in the next few weeks, focus on a number of the areas that the bill covers in a bit more detail, but the purpose of this podcast is to give a high level overview of a number of areas of the bill as a whole. So for today's purposes, you have myself, Hannah Meakin, and my fellow partner in the financial services team, Jonathan Herbst. So Jonathan, can you start off by explaining what the bill actually is and why it matters to our listeners? Thanks, Hannah. So I think the most important thing to say is it is a really important bill. Um, there has been a view, I think, amongst some in the city, that it's all just about sort of technical questions of powers and fairly obscure issues. Uh, that is wrong. There is a lot in there around the four powers of regulators and the Treasury. You can come back to that. But there are some other really important areas in particular, and we're going to explore these, some areas that have been much discussed, for example, the MIFID package of changes. Secondly, a number of new areas of regulation, and we will come back to those in a minute, but just really important, depending which subsector you're in, to be aware. For example, crypto and the new designated activities regime. Um, thirdly, some really significant new powers in relation to markets infrastructure. And fourthly, and I think this is in some ways the most difficult to get your arms around, a what, what I would describe as a smogers board of very detailed changes that are dotted around, but you know, individually, and cumulatively can make a really big difference and uh, perhaps we'll come on in a few minutes to talk about discipline in relation to ex-authorised persons. So what I would say is yes it's an important bill, it's a big bill and people will want to watch it as it goes through Parliament and as it gets implemented. Thank you Jonathan. So just picking up on the first of those points, perhaps you could go into a bit more detail on the changes which will impact the powers of government and regulators in this area. Yeah, thanks, Hannah. Look, it's a huge subject and there's a lot in the bill, but I'm just going to pick out three very broad areas that I think everyone should be aware of. Number one, there are some significant changes to the objectives and the so-called have regard to factors that both regulators will need to take account of. Uh, just to give a couple of examples of that in relation to the FCA, there's the economic growth and international competitiveness secondary objectives and the have regard to in both relation to both uh, regulators uh, to having regard to net zero. So that's a very good example and there are some others, I'm not going to talk about those now, but uh, in relation to innovation and advancing the effect uh, in relation to financial stability that apply to the PRA. But I think that's the first area to be aware of. Secondly, there are some quite significant new treasury powers and separate discussion we can have on another podcast around the balance between that and the regulators powers but some new treasury powers and I pick out the following ones number one the ability of the treasury to ease some of the waiver power conditions that the regulators must apply secondly the requirement of the regulators to respond annually to the treasury's recommendations and thirdly the so-called rule review power which is the ability of the treasury to require that one of the regulators to actually review a certain aspect of their rules. Now, importantly, I think there's been a slight misunderstanding. This is not a so-called power of direction in relation to a specific rule or how it's applied, but a much more broad ranging power. But nevertheless, put all those together, that's significant. Finally, 
there are a couple of really significant structural changes, in particular, the enhancements to the panels and also the new panels in particular in relation to cost benefit analysis. So lots to pack away there, but uh, just uh, given those as a few examples. Thank you, Jonathan. So if, I feel that there's been quite a build up of discussions and consultations on certain areas of potential change um, in the run up to the bill being published, in particular through the future of regulatory framework review, but also a number of other important papers. Can you tell us about some of the more well-trailed areas? Well, I think the, the, the best example is actually the MIFID package of changes. Um, and I think one of the problems with the bill when you look at it is it's got lots, so many different things and it's easy to lose sight of the big picture. And the big picture is there are some areas that have been well-trailed, MIFID package of changes being a very good example to look at some of the detail on that without going into all of it. Uh, removal of the securities trading obligation, amendments to the to bring the derivatives trading obligation into line with EMEA, and various other aspects of pre and post trade transparency. Effectively, the government would say is this is part of their liberalisation of MIFID. Has been trailed also in, in in other discussions, more political discussions, more recently, but all very much reflecting what's in the paper. So I think that's a very good example of something that we expected to see and is there. And so, on the other hand, are there any new areas of regulation or any areas where we have uh, essentially additional provisions to what we had before? Yes, I think these are perhaps more exciting in some ways, and I, there, there are quite a number dotted around the bill, but I would pick up uh, four. Uh, number one, the new designated activities regime, and this comes back to a theme that I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, which is what this regime effectively does is it says if you do certain activities, then aspects of the rules will apply to you that the regulator set will apply to you and certain powers will apply to you, even though you don't actually need to require a license. You need to get a license. Now, that's a new concept, broadly speaking, in UK regulation, and it's not entirely clear how it's going to be used. It could actually be used and Treasury will set the perimeter for any activities that they deem to be designated activities. The example that they give is of a car manufacturer that enters into derivatives and that there will be a power for the Treasury to actually designate that as a designated activity. So what we'll end up with on this is a sort of regulated activity perimeter, a broader designated activity perimeter, and then unregulated activities. Now, I think this is absolutely fascinating because it's in a sense blurring that regulated, unregulated line, which I mentioned earlier, and we'll see in a, in a moment, there are other potential examples of that. Second area is the financial promotion gateway. That's been well trailed. Uh, but nevertheless, this is significant uh, addition. When, we when I talk about the financial promotion gateway, what I mean is the special permission that regulated firms will need now to prove financial promotions. This is all part of the tightening of the financial promotion regime. And this view that effectively various types of unregulated entity have been able to sell their wares, their, sell their services in the UK without adequate oversight. So that's, that's an important area. Third one, this is really interesting, is crypto. Um, I mean, obviously, with stablecoin, it's been well established that there may well be regulation and there are certain types of crypto that uh, crypto um, underlying instrument that may be regulated. But this is a much broader power for the Treasury to potentially bring any kind of crypto they choose into regulation. Not conceptually new, but nevertheless significant, I think, that a framework has been set for this very clearly and in detail set out in the bill. 
uh, so that could be used. And the fourth, and we did a separate podcast on this, is in relation to powers over critical third parties, which I think is very much the same theme as the designated activities regime, which is, you know, HMT setting the perimeter for, for example, cloud services, and then quite detailed powers and rules potentially applying to those entities. So those are four examples, I think, of let's call them new areas of regulation, which people will need to keep a very close eye on as the bill goes through its, its passage. Hannah, perhaps over to you. I uh, just wanted to, to ask you a question around markets infrastructure. There's quite a lot in the paper about markets infrastructure. Do you want to sort of give a, a 30,000 view, uh, view of that? Yeah, there are, as you say, a number of provisions that touch on uh, financial market infrastructures or FMIs, but just to maybe pick up on three of them. The first one is that the bill makes provision for a senior managers and certification regime for recognised central counterparties recognised investment exchanges, recognised central securities depositories, and there's also a power to apply the regime to credit rating agencies. So the government will be able to decide when to apply the regime to any one of those types of entities uh, within scope of the regime, and then to tailor the regime to each type of firm. So that, that's, I think, an interesting development because this is a regime that hasn't previously applied to, uh, to those uh, types of entity, those, those FMIs. The um, second point that's worth mentioning, I think, is the new resolution regime for central counterparties. So the bill brings the UK in line with the most recent financial stability board guidance, which seeks to ensure that resolution authorities have the appropriate flexibility to resolve a CCP in the most effective way. So the bill gives the bank as the UK resolution authority the necessary powers to stabilise a CCP so that it can continue to provide its critical clearing services whilst also ensuring that the CCP and clearing members bear the losses arising from the failure. And there are a number of new powers for the Bank of England in that regard. And then um, the third one that's, that I think is definitely worth mentioning and very interesting is the FMI sandbox. So HM Treasury will be able to set up one or more FMI sandboxes, which will enable participating firms such as central securities depositories and operators of multilateral trading facilities to test and adopt new technologies and practices. So these types of FMI entities will be able to apply to participate in the sandbox. And the idea is that uh, legislation that applies to them can be temporarily disapplied or modified to enable them to test some of their ideas and innovate. And depending on how, how that works out in terms of its success, then it may be that Treasury will make some permanent changes to legislation to enable those FMIs to use that new technology or those new practices outside of the sandbox going forward. Thanks, Hannah. And maybe just to wrap up, just one further question. I mean, when you look at the bill and particularly the explanatory notes, there's just like lots of stuff in there. And, you know, old, the old motto, the devil's in the detail, can you give a couple of examples, maybe just one or two examples of, you know, what we mean by that in the context of the bill? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is a huge amount of detail, as you say, but um, just two examples. First one, I would say kind of changing control. So currently the PRA and the FCA can approve or reject an application for a change in control, and they can also impose conditions, but they can only impose conditions where they would otherwise reject the application. 
and there are some situations where the evidence may not quite reach the reasonable grounds threshold needed to reject an application but where the regulator still has significant concerns and so this new power would enable the regulators to apply conditions to new controllers where they have concerns which affect their ability to advance their objectives um, as opposed to the narrower set of existing circumstances. So that's the first one. And then the second one I would say is to do with disciplinary action against formally authorised persons. So the FCA and the PRA are generally unable to take disciplinary action against firms which are no longer authorised if they committed misconduct whilst they were authorised. But the bill would allow them to take action against such firms provided they become unauthorised on or after the day that the, the bill is introduced uh, for misconduct while they were authorised. So this will enable the regulators to appoint a person to, for example, carry out an investigation into potential misconduct, issue a public censure, issue a financial penalty or require the payment of compensation to victims of misconduct. So this is really quite a significant change. Okay, thank you very much, Hannah. Well, that wraps up our podcast for today. Uh, we are, as Hannah said at the beginning, going to be doing some much more detailed podcasts on specific aspects of the bill. So thank you very much, everybody, and look forward to uh, speaking to you next time. Thank you.